This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Progress starts with an idea and someone brave enough to test it and learn from mistakes. And let's be honest, progress also needs someone to fund the idea. Recently, the Walder Foundation launched the Biota Awards to do just that, to fund five early career researchers who are seeking to protect and further biodiversity. Joining us now to tell us more is the Walder Foundation Environmental Sustainability Program Director, Jack Westwood. Welcome, Jack. Hi, Sasha Ann. Thanks so much for having us. Also with us is Sarah Ruan, Field Museum's Curator of Herpetology and one of the recipients of the award. Welcome, Sarah. Much, Sasha. And Megan Midgley, who also won this award. She is a soil ecologist at the Morton Arboretum. Welcome, Megan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We'll start with you, Jack. How did the Biota Awards come to be? Yeah, great question. So the, the Walder Foundation was established uh, by Joseph and Elizabeth Walder as a place-based philanthropy in the Chicago region that hopes to help develop a more sustainable and a welcoming Chicago, as well as elevate the region's contributions to the world. Across the foundation, we have several areas of focus related to our founders' personal and professional interests. But environmental sustainability is one of these, as we feel like a focus on the environment is really key to achieving our, our aims and our mission. So within this work on environmental sustainability that we're doing, we feel that it's really important to uh, understand and harness the benefits that nature and biodiversity can bring to our region. And so we help develop the Biota Awards uh, to help us uh, achieve this. Remind our, our listeners what biodiversity entails, Jack. So biodiversity entails all the sort of the life on our planet. The, the word biota itself refers to all plant, animal, animal uh, microbe species that are, are living in uh, a region. So when you visit your, your local park and you see uh, you know, the, the green trees, you see the, the insects buzzing around and you see the birds, that's all part of biodiversity. And each region has a very specific assemblage of, of species uh, um, within it. Give us the specifics of the award. So the Biota Awards uh, were established to try and do a couple of things. Firstly, we really wanted to support translational projects that create meaningful on-the-ground impact in helping to protect, restore, and conserve biodiversity in Chicago and, and also around the world. We really wanted to help this research that happens, you know, in these great institutions we have in the Chicago region. We really wanted to make sure that the, the science being done there could be used you know, on the ground to create meaningful impact. So that's the first part of what we are trying to do. The, the second part was to support early career scientists to do this work at this critical juncture in their careers when funding is hard to come by and biodiversity research is, is typically you know, under, underfunded compared to other areas of research. So we really saw an opportunity to fund early career scientists to, to pursue this work. And so the awards provide uh, three years of research funding um, for these individuals uh, to Thanks. pursue these projects. Well, let's hear from some of these early career scientists. Megan and Sarah, first of all, congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to start with you, Sarah. Once again, you are surveying the populations of reptiles and amphibians in uh, Chicagoland's forest preserves to see how climate change is affecting them. Why is this necessary now, and what are you hoping to learn? 
So what's really important that I and my collaborator, Michelle Thompson, who's also at the Field Museum, are doing is we're not just doing surveys, we're doing resurveys, which means that somebody else has already gone out there at a previous point, 10, 20, even 30 years ago, and taken a look at the reptiles and amphibians, specifically in the Will County Forest Preserves. And so what we're doing is going back to the same sites and looking for the same animals and trying to determine have these reptiles and amphibians persisted? Have they declined? Are there species that we can document that weren't there previously? And then sort of tie that back to things like anthropogenic change. So that can include issues such as climate change, but it can also include um, just, you know, suburban lifestyles encroaching upon habitat. But on the flip side, the preserves are also doing a lot of work to try to maintain habitat and improve it to a more natural state. So we might also see improvements in the diversity for these animals. Snakes are really your thing. Right. Snake, snakes are 100 yeah. percent. So what, what do you say to all the people listening who are scared of snakes and wonder what we can learn from studying them? I'm going to so include myself great, in that. I, yeah, no, I, you know, most people, when I tell them that I study snakes and that I really like snakes a whole lot, they often don't feel the same way. And I totally get it. And what I always hope that when people talk to me is that they don't necessarily suddenly love snakes, but they are a little bit more appreciative to them. So just for an example of something that is really important with snakes, imagine that we are concerned, because we are, mm -hmm. with diseases that affect humans, things like Lyme disease. Well, Lyme disease, one of the hosts of it is, uh, you know, going to be a mouse, deer mice. And, the, you know, it's transmitted by a tick, but one of the intermediaries is a mouse. Well, snakes eat mice. And if we aren't sort of maintaining these populations of snakes out there, we're going to let populations of mice explode. That equals more ticks. And it's not linear. It's going to be exponential. Um, you're going to see more ticks and you're going to see more cases of Lyme disease affecting humans. And that's just one example of one of the many diseases that can be sort of ecologically controlled by having predators such as snakes persisting and thriving in wow. natural habitats. Interesting stuff. Megan, I got to bring you in here. Your work's related to preserving oak savannas. Tell us right. about that need. Yeah, so oak savannas used to be one of the most abundant ecosystems in our region, but because of a combination of development and lack of management, most of these oak savannas have either been eradicated from our region or become closed canopy forests. So a savanna is, by definition, an open area that kind of combines prairies and forests. And so now we're trying to convert the forests that still exist or the savannas that manage to be maintained over time um, and maintain them and restore them to their former glory. Now, some of the uh, stewarding techniques of oak trees leads to big brush piles of woody debris. Right. Burning. So, yeah. And burning these, it's most common. It's the most common strategy that is in use right now. Right. To, to get rid of the debris. Is that right? Yes. And I imagine as uh, you or a lot of your listeners um, drive around the Chicago region in the winter, they might notice groups of people building what we call these small brush piles. So cutting down these invasive species or, or understory trees that really shouldn't be in oak savannas. Um, and they collect them into a pile, and the most effective strategy for dealing with this pile of woody debris is to burn it. Right. Uh, so they're burning them in place, 
Um, but you're looking but both, into the effect that the fires can cause long term, right, on on the plants. Exactly. So now we get to understand or are going to try to understand the effects of these brush pile burns on soil chemistry, on fungal diversity, and on plant diversity in these oak ecosystems. So talk more about the concern of burning this debris and, and how it compares with prescribed burns. Yeah, so uh, really this research project came to me from stewards and managers that are building and burning these piles, and they really care about the biodiversity of the places that they're in. And they kept asking me as a, a soil ecologist who studies prescribed fire, you know, what is the effect of this and is this Um, going to be detrimental over the long term. And the fact of the matter is we just don't know. We don't have data to say one way or the other what the effects of brush pile burns might be. Um, And I think more importantly for the restoration community is identifying a few strategies for maintaining diversity um, after these piles are burned. I would say compared to prescribed fire, there are much, much more extreme versions of fire Um, In a prescribed fire, it's lit in the spring or the fall time and will run through an ecosystem quite quickly. Mm -hmm. So there might be some ash that's deposited on the soil, but it doesn't get very hot for very long. Whereas in a brush pile burn, it's often fed throughout the day by volunteers and by managers um, until it's very hot and it's a very long burn. So it might have a very different effect than our, our regular prescribed fires. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, as part of our weekly Chicago Innovator segment, we're talking with two researchers who are working to protect biodiversity in our region, Sarah Ruan and Megan Midgley. They're both recipients of the Biota Award. It's a new award from the Walder Foundation that is funding early career researchers. Also with us is Jack Westwood, who is uh, director of the Walder Foundation. Uh, back to you, Sarah. You're, you're planning on involving students from, from local colleges in studying these reptiles and amphibians in the forest preserves. Why is that involvement important? So we've already got five interns out there with us. I was just out there with two of them this oh, awesome. morning, uh, which is great. We, we I bet they're loving really this internship. <laughs> on, on, I, lo- I did an internship where I caught snakes all summer right after I graduated from Incredible. undergrad. So, so I can really relate. And I see a lot of myself in some of these uh, young people who are out there with us. And so one of the things that is really important to myself and my collaborator, Michelle, is getting people who want to do this kind of stuff, giving them that opportunity, getting them out there, giving them hands-on experience. There's nothing that beats, at least for me, going out and seeing these animals in the wild, in their natural habitat, doing what they do. And giving all these kids, these, I shouldn't call them kids because they're all in college or undergrads, but, um, you know, these people younger than me, giving them all this opportunity to do it, I think it's really meaningful to them and helps advance them on their careers. And in addition to that, we're also going to be doing a lot of outreach programs um, through various uh, facilitators that that are going to let us reach 
people even younger than that. So kindergarten classes, middle schools, but then also adults. The Field Museum itself does a lot of programs that give opportunities to speak to audiences of all ages. And so getting people a little bit excited, not just about biodiversity, but about the biodiversity that's right here outside their door. In Will County alone, there's 43 species of reptiles and amphibians that you could go out and see. And so most people don't know that. They think there's just a couple of species out there, or there's only one kind of snake. And maybe they don't want to hear that there's a whole bunch, but it's good that they're aware of it regardless. Yeah. Well, for those of us whose minds you still need to help wrap around this concept, what can people gain by changing their relationship to snakes and to nature. So, so first off, I think in general, it just gives you a better feeling of well-being. If you're out, you enjoy nature, but you kind of don't like snakes. Being aware of them and knowing a little bit about them probably is going to make you just feel a little bit more comfortable in general. And one of the ways that I tell people uh, that can help make them a little bit more comfortable is snakes do not want to interact with you. They don't want to come near you. They don't want to bite you. Well, good. They don't want to. They don't want anything to do with you. What they really want to do is try and avoid you because when they see you, they think you are a predator that might eat them. And so they're only going to bite in a defensive manner. That means you have to grab them or, you know, accidentally, if you step down one, that is one way that's really accidental, but that happens incredibly rarely. And in addition, there really aren't any venomous snakes in the immediate Chicago region that anybody needs to worry about. Okay. So any snake you see is going to be harmless anyway. I'll do my best not to accidentally step (laughs) on any snakes after I leave work today. (laughs) I'll try. Uh, Megan, what are you hoping to learn from your research? Well, I would say my big goal and one of the goals of both the Morton Arboretum and the Walder Foundation is to bridge the gap between research and management. So I really want to understand the effects of brush pile burning on the abundance of plants and fungi, but that doesn't really get us anywhere without having volunteer stewards or site managers involved. So I'm really looking forward to working directly with the folks that create these piles So we can determine if, for example, larger or smaller piles have greater or smaller effects or if perhaps doing something simple like moving the ash off a pile can help plants and fungi recover more quickly. Yeah. Any thoughts as to why this hasn't been studied at length so far? Well, I think in general, this sort of locally focused work is often not funded. So this is a really unique opportunity to look at a a local problem or a local issue that uh, a variety of people outside of academia and science care about, mm-hmm. and to be able to advance those local partnerships and learn something about our region is something that's really unique to the Biota Awards. Jack, you're still with us. Briefly run down the, uh, the work of the other three recipients of the award. Yeah, absolutely. So we received some really great proposals uh, uh, this year for the Bias Rewards, and there were five awardees in total. And the three other projects are um, Becky Barak from Chicago Botanic Garden, uh, who's working on lawn alternatives. So what does it mean to um, try a different kind of species in your in your front lawn that might better support native biodiversity and provide other co-benefits like reducing flooding or, or some of the other great things that nature can do for us. That's one, one of the projects. Um, the second one is Noe De La Sancha, who's at Chicago State University. He's uh, one of our awardees who's working outside of Chicago. He's actually working in Paraguay uh, in the Atlantic Forest uh, down there to better understand how deforestation 
uh, impacts habitat fragmentation and biodiversity loss. And he has a specific focus on small mammals, mm-hmm. uh, part of our sort of elevating Chicago's contributions to the world. And then lastly, Adam Ferguson at the Field Museum is working uh, back in Chicago on, on small mammals in parks on the south side of the city, cool. um, trying to sort of, um, Big Marsh and other places, working with the park district to understand you know, what mammals are there, um, work with communities to better understand, you know, which critters are, are living in those parks and what yeah. those implications might be uh, for, for human health and, and well-being. And before I let you go, where can people find out more? Absolutely. Uh, BiotaAwards.org. And the applications for our 2023 cycle are, are now open and the deadline is October the 3rd. So I encourage everyone to go and check that out. And, and there's information there on how to get in touch if you have questions. Wonderful. That's Jack Westwood, Walder Foundation Environmental Sustainability Program Director. Sarah Ruan, who's Field Museum's Curator of Herpetology. And Megan Midgley, who is a soil ecologist at the Morton Arboretum. Thank you all. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.